0: Hey, all my IFG friends, this is Steve. I want to say you know, if you like movies like I do, we've started a new podcast called Happy Hour Flicks. Uh, You can find it anywhere podcasts are found. It's all about nostalgic movies that we love, and we bring on special guests each episode, and we also have specialty cocktails made for each one, too. So it really is an hour of a good time talking about movies that we love, like Gremlins, uh, Seven, uh, Free Willy. Uh, We talk about The Last Starfighter also. I mean, we kind of run the gamut across all the decades and really have a great time so wanted to invite you to come over and join us that's happy hour flicks anywhere podcasts are found
1: but we got pulled over in that van and we had this body part
0: <laughs> it's as if you think you've murdered somebody in your trunk. i
1: know is the first thing you say officer just so you know there's a fake dead body and a fake gun in the trunk
2: yes that's what you say that's what you should have said
1: this is the, the
3: independent 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 filmmakers guide from Framework Productions. Framework.
4: Framework Productions.
3: On IFG, we talk about independent film from development through delivery. By featuring discussions with creators and collaborators about their experiences, we form a roadmap to help you have the most success with your projects. Genre films are a great way to build a fan base and a community. Horror, in particular, is one of the most successful and love genres that, much like its villains, never seems to die. It's also where many indie features can thrive and reach an audience without a major studio attached. Today, we have the team behind the punk slasher film The Ranger, who have done just that.
1: Again, going back to the eye, the eye gets bored looking at the same kinds of trees. And in The Ranger, pretty actively, I tried to choose areas of, with different kinds of landscapes. So you really felt like you were moving up a mountain and encountering the different woods.
0: That's Jen Wexler,
2: co-writer and director. It's my favorite thing that I've ever done. I hope to play him again.
0: And that's Jeremy Holm, who plays the title role in the film The Ranger. The more I thought
4: about it, the more it was just like, this can only be Jeremy from, from presence, to, to talent, to, to look, it, it was just, it just felt right. And that's Jocko Farino, creator and co-writer. The senior thesis for this program is a feature-length script. I'm your host, Stephen Pierce. Um, and that's, that was the Ranger for me. The Ranger in a very ancient form uh, was my senior thesis um a lot of the the core components were there but the the heart wasn't there um but coming up with that idea uh to speak a little bit uh for a moment just about sort of the the initial conception right of punks versus a park ranger um i was at the time of course super 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 into punk listening to punk all the time really getting into the I don't know, everything. I like, was really,
0: um, really, really hoping you were going to say national parks.
4: Yeah, really into national parks. Exactly. I was really nerding out about national parks. <laughs> um, but I was also watching films that, of course, I I, I love and that are sort of like seminal uh, punk movies, Return of the Living Dead specifically. Um, and so I wanted to write a punk movie. Um, and at the time, the idea of sort of like punks versus an authority figure uh what was sort of where this was going to go and I knew I wanted it to be a slasher. But something about like punks versus cops at the time uh didn't feel uh interesting enough or strange enough. Um and I thought about well what else is a, an authority figure uh, an authority figure that's a little bit off center. Uh and the idea of this like Ranger Rick style park ranger, this man who follow or woman, but in this case a man who follows rules, who protects the parks, um I thought that would be a really fun uh, juxtaposition against these punks that sort of represent, in my mind, like the city, the asphalt, the, you know, loud music, unnatural things uh, versus this sort of warden of the natural world.
0: Yeah. And I don't think the park ranger in I don't think the ranger in your story necessarily is like a real stickler for the rules in a normal way. He's kind of like a more stick-you-for-the-rules kind of guy. Yes.
2: Hey-oh! Oh, there we go. There oh, we go. We, got it. Um, we can edit that out, right? <laughs> yeah, we can.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Jen, how did you get involved? Because you're like, uh, I mean, you, you've had a background in horror as a producer, right?
1: So, well, I was Jocko's classmate and I read the script you know we had to do little workshops and I read the script when we were in school and I was like oh my god dude this is awesome I hope you get an A on this project um and I just love the idea of like punks versus park ranger because it felt so 80s and it felt like a movie I should have already seen um but when we graduated we like didn't really know what to do we had to go like get jobs and find ways to pay our rent and stuff so it took a couple years um Eventually I started working for a production company and I started producing movies and I really learned how to make movies. And then I, I, my dream has always been to to direct. So when the time came, finally, I was like, yo, I want to, I called Jocko. I was like, yo, I want to direct a feature and I want it to be the Ranger. And Jocko was like down. I was like, yo, can you find that script that you wrote years ago and can we work on it together?
4: To say I was down, uh, of course, right? Like, that's a call that doesn't happen, right? Like, even among friends in the industry, that's a call that doesn't happen. Like, remember that thing you did a long time ago? Let's make it, right? Like, um, so that day I was, of course, super excited. And then the terror set in because I would say that this was maybe, what, seven years after or or something like that, a a fair amount of time. Um, And I thought, where is this script? Like where, what old busted up laptop is the script set? Like, I hate to admit it, but this was before the cloud, right? Like this was before like Google Docs. Um, And so it was a frantic like digging through old, like hacking old email addresses to pull pieces. I had to Frankenstein it together from various
0: drafts. That say in the end, you only have one PDF and you're like, well, I'm going to get to retype all of this. Yeah, exactly.
4: Um, but, you know, I think that that was actually maybe a really help a healthy way for, the, for it to go, because all that was left were, were bits and pieces and the most important moments that I remember. And then from there, Jen and I were able to completely, I would say, almost a page one rewrite of that original concept into a new script together and it like totally folded in everything I love, everything Jen loves. And it became, you know, we weren't just dusting off a, you know, an eight, a 21 year old script. We were writing a real movie that the concept was, was old, but felt very fresh in the moment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So now you guys have teamed up, you know, the script you're going to make from film school, you've rewritten it. How did you go about getting it started? So how do you, did you go about getting the wheels turning, the financing going and getting the film actually turning in from an idea to a thing?
1: Uh, We started putting together all of our materials. Like I put together a lookbook and we made a teaser um, and we submitted the project to this program called the Frontiers Co-production Market in uh, the it's part of the Fantasia Film Festival in Montreal. And we got into it. They choose like 20 projects every year and when you get into it, you go to the festival and you do your pitch in front of a room full of finance people and industry people. So we did that and it was a really great um, event for us because out of that we found, a producer that we were going to team up with and uh, we got our financing out of it.
0: Oh, wow. So you were able to find it basically in one fell swoop. Like you you had.
1: In looking like in hindsight, it feels lovely that, you know, in the moment we didn't know it was one fell swoop, but it still took months. I mean, that was in the summer of uh, 2016. It was July, 2016 that we did that pitch. And then we were still like, talking to the producer and it was still like a process. And then we ended up shooting the following spring. So in the moment, I didn't realize how quickly it was moving. In hindsight, I was like, Oh, that actually was pretty lovely. And that ran really smoothly.
0: So how did you approach your initial like production budgeting? How much were you allocating to locations? How much were you like, Oh, we can shoot this in a single location, more or less like in the woods. Like how did that all break out for you guys?
1: So from my time producing, I started learning this process really well and learning how to do it on a small budget. So actually part of what was appealing about the ranger and part of why I thought of it and thought to go to Jocko was because... you know, it's location, right? Most of it's in the woods. You have a little bit in a punk bar in the beginning, and then most of it's in the woods, most of it's in these cabins. And we shot in an area that I was familiar with, which was Woodstock, New York, where I had shot some other films. I liked that it went from this like colorful kind of environment into this more like wooded environment. And all of that you can do in a low budget way, again, keeping it really interesting to the eye. Um, so we started putting all this together, like, while we were writing it, we were putting that together and creating a production plan. Um, and, yeah, then we started moving forward, and we started chatting with Jeremy.
0: Yeah, so how did, they, yeah, how did you get your cast together? When? when, when what pieces fell in when?
1: Uh, Jeremy was the first cast. Uh, Jocko and I were writing it with Jeremy in mind. Uh, do you guys want to talk a little bit about your Background
2: together? Listen, I'll tell you this. If you don't fucking clean the espresso machine at Del Frisco Steakhouse in New York City the way it's supposed to be cleaned, you're going to hear from me. Okay. Make it
4: nice or make it twice.
2: That's right. Make
4: (laughs) it nice. Make it nice.
0: So you guys knew each other from work. Yeah.
4: So that what Jeremy's alluding to there is that uh, he and I were. co or fellow waiters at this very sort of high end steakhouse in uh midtown Manhattan. And from the moment I met him, we hit it off. Of course. Uh, he's a fantastic, m- completely magnetic guy. Um, but I just knew as we're rewriting the, um, and he'd done plenty of amazing acting before this, of course, uh, which I'd seen some of. And as I'm writing this, I'm just thinking, Jeremy, Jeremy, like he just kept, coming into the character. And the more I thought about it, the more it was just like, this can only be Jeremy. From from presence to, to talent to, to look, it, it was just, it just felt right. Usually when you read a script, you're like, ah, that scene, is
2: too much, there's not enough, I don't understand it. This script was tight, very tight, from beginning to end. And I understood it. And I was like, I'm in. And I knew that my team would like give me trouble about it being, you know, a low budget film, but I just said, no, we're doing it, make it happen, figure it out. We're doing it. And we did it. And I, to this day, it's my favorite thing that I've ever done. I hope to play him again. I love the character. I love the, the genre. I love the humor. I love how spooky it is. I love everything about it. And the thing I love the most is the team we had, you know, together to do it. Talk about the team you got
0: together. So how did how who else was, how much other cast did you have and how did you acquire them? Specifically, I think, Chloe, how did you get her involved?
1: I met her at South by Southwest. So in 2017, I was there with a couple of movies that I had produced and we were casting for the Ranger. Um, and my casting director said, hey, check out uh, Chloe Levine. She's in this movie, The Transfiguration, which is playing at South by So I saw it. And um, meanwhile, they sent her the script and she read it. So we ended up meeting uh, at South by and just totally looking and bonding over the script. And we actually, so South by was in March of that year and we were shooting in April. So it was very quick and uh, it was a pretty quick turnaround between meeting her and casting her. And then over those next few weeks, I met the rest of the cast as well through auditions and meetings and stuff.
0: How did you find your casting director?
1: Uh, Lois Strapkin, She's amazing. She's a New York based casting director. And uh, our company Glossy Picks has worked with her on a bunch of films. So I, there was already that relationship.
0: Gotcha. So now let's talk about getting into production itself. Did you have rehearsals, much rehearsals? What was your shooting schedule like?
1: Our shooting schedule is about 18 days. And um, in terms of rehearsal, we did a, I did a read-through with all the punks. And then I did a read-through of the scenes that Chelsea and the Ranger are in with Chloe and Jeremy. Um, and Jeremy was pretty much kept separate from the punks until he arrived to set. And we tried to shoot everything without Jeremy first so that we could really create this like bonding experience between the punks. And then there would be this like new force that showed up, but because Chloe and Jeremy had had a read through earlier on, they had a little bit of a bond. Uh, So Jeremy was a new force to everybody except for Chloe.
0: And that seems like that mirrors the plot of the film pretty well, where there's a connection between these two other characters that no one else is in on.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So the location, you said you were familiar with it, but is that like a, did you, you were able to kind of, I assume, secure some kind of location that allowed you to basically load in once and be very agile and move around, and be very loose, right?
1: Not quite. Uh, it's really nice when you can do that, but we kind of shot all over the Hudson Valley area. So we we stayed at the same hotel and every day we would kind of drive out to a different area. But I've seen some um, woods movies where it Again, going back to the eye, the eye gets bored looking at the same kinds of trees. And in the ranger, pretty actively, I tried to choose areas of with different kinds of landscapes. So you really felt like you were moving up a mountain and encountering the different woods, the different kinds of trees and stuff you find when you're actually climbing a mountain. Um, and then for the climax of the movie, so I the climax takes place at a fire tower. And I was just... I went to, there's all these different fire towers in the Hudson Valley. And I started visiting a bunch of them. You could even do like a challenge, like the fire tower challenge where you hike up to all the different fire towers. Um, so this one I fell in love with on one of the hikes and it's on Hunter Mountain. I was just like, Oh my God, we have to shoot at this fire tower. It's perfect. It's a dream. Um, and we shot the teaser at that fire tower the thing about the fire tower is that like roads don't go there. You have to climb. So the big, and we shot this at the end of the shoot and the big thing that like we were all kind of dreading because we had done it when we did the teaser was going back up this mountain where it's like a hike, like two-hour hike, and it's pretty vertical. And I had to have my sag actors <laughs> climb up it, but they were so cool. Jeremy like ran up it ahead of everybody else.
2: It was fun, man. It was fantastic. And Jen left out that it's the tallest fire tower in the state of New York. So not only was it our last shot, but it was it's the tallest, it's the most epic, it has the best view. It was fantastic.
1: The Rangers um, cabin that we ended up using though, was like a total, was, that was a total dream. Like that was just me talking to the film office. Uh, my producers and I chatting with the film office and getting different references. And then like, we found this one that really was like out of my brain. It was like, this is exactly what I've always dreamed of when I think of the Rangers cabin.
0: That's amazing. So let's talk a little bit about your special effects and your visual effects. Um, most of it seemed like it was practical special effects on site. So is that where you kind of, you, you you went specifically into making sure that you could spend your money in that area and have the, the props you want to really be the gruesome kind of foot coming off the, the trap and stuff like that, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. So we uh, worked with Brian Spears and Pete Gurner and Ashley Thomas, who are amazing special effects People and uh, they do stuff for Marvel TV shows and they roll up in their van full of body parts and everyone gets so excited. And um,
2: Tell them about driving that van full of body parts and getting pulled over.
1: It was after we filmed the young Chelsea, you know, who looks over the side of the cliff and sees the dead body on the cliff. So it was that night and we were riding the punk van, uh, that has all the graffiti on it. And meanwhile, it like had broken, (laughs) broken taillights and stuff. It's like, and it doesn't even work anymore. I think we got rid of it. Um, but we got pulled over in that van and we had this body part. I mean, this dead Larry body in the back of the van and like, I mean, I feel, I, I remember sitting there being like, don't look in the, don't look in the trunk, don't look in the trunk. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's you
0: know, as if you I, think you've murdered somebody. Your I
1: know. I didn't like, I, it's just so weird. Like, is the first thing you say to an officer, like, officer, just so you know, there's a fake dead body and a fake gun in the trunk. Like, that's crazy. Yes. Uh, that's,
2: that's what you say. That's what you should have said. That,
1: yeah. I mean, especially with all the crazy shit going on right now, like I'm like rethinking my own experience with cops as everybody is. And I'm just like, wow, that was like a insane moment and a really fucked up thing. But anyway, she left us with a warning to like get our car fixed. And that was it.
0: So oh, what was your safety like on set? Because You have SAG actors you're doing. There's lots of little fights and push and pulls. There's guns. Um, yeah. what What was the safety like?
1: Um, So we had a stunt coordinator to do, to work with us and approach all of those different fights and things in a safe way. We didn't have all the guns were totally fake and we added some flashes in post. Um, What else? What other craziness did we do?
0: I, I mean, think those are mostly the ones. I just wanted to know like, like is that how did it how did you schedule that? Like how much time did you leave? Because obviously you don't have 18 days. It's super fast. You know, that's super hard to pull off. So how are you how are you approaching like a fight sequence?
2: She she approaches it by shooting it right at the end of an afternoon when the sun's going down. So you only get one take. That's how she approached it. That's I'm tricky. kidding, it's not that bad. It's almost that
1: bad. Jeremy loves it.
2: I oh, did love yeah. it, but I was like okay the sun we've got like (laughs) we've got five minutes
1: but you know what else we the sun did go down and we have an awesome G&E team of a one-in-one two people one uh grip one gaffer who made the room into the late afternoon sun so we could keep on going uh so it was all good um in terms it was amazing it
2: was miraculous i thought miraculous uh
1: but th- also the most important thing is you have actors who are down and having fun and everybody has a great attitude and jeremy and chloe were like all in it they were a we were friends. had we had
2: was a blast that's the most fun i've ever had on set that the final scene the binocular smashing scene is the most fun i've ever had on set it was so fun
1: jeremy he was, was like covered in blood.
0: Yeah, it felt like and it's a good sequence. that keeps building from the same angle. So I mean, did you just shoot it sequentially so you could just keep adding more blood and keep adding more blood and keep adding more blood? Or what was your approach to the continuity?
1: Yeah, pretty much. That's exactly what we did. Um, you know, it's pretty much just two angles. It's a low angle and a high angle on each of them. Um what was that like for you? Talk more about it, Jeremy. The uh, fight scene.
2: I didn't know how we were gonna do it. And because it's described as this epic battle and I just followed your lead and you, you, it was the only scene in the whole movie I had any trepidation about. Cause if it's not good, it ruins the movie. But once we started, I was like, okay, Jen has got this under control. And then, you know, we do, we do a few takes and then we go back and Brian would, Brian Spears right there, like five feet from the fire tower, which was an other fire tower that we did the stunt scene in and the real fire tower, which looked exactly the same when you're watching the movie and he'd add a little more blood and we'd go back and Jen would say a little more, a little more, a little more. And then we'd go back and put more blood on. And she pushed, she pushed Chloe so hard. She just kept saying no more, deeper, more, deeper. And Chloe and I were like, like trusting each other big time. And it was exhilarating. It was so fun. Yeah. I want to die again.
1: <laughs> I wanted Chloe to get to this really primal place, which she totally got to. But it, it's a part of like, you know, the process of like getting exhausted, you know, you really it's
2: physiological.
1: Yeah. You really feel she's exhausted and it's primal and everything because she's was totally exhausted. <laughs> Like we did that so many times, especially her fighting, her punching you. Um,
2: Do you know what I remember about that scene that, that, you know, we, we shot that scene and I don't know, it took probably two hours, maybe three to shoot that scene. We did it really fast, but, and it was work. Like we kept working, we kept working, we kept working. Then I remember Jen was like, your shower is ready. And she had, the shower inside the house where we were shooting was all ready. There's a nice hot towel. There was a robe. And she even had a beer waiting for me after the shower, which is my favorite thing at the end of a long shoot day. And she just had it all. She had she thought ahead, and it was all arranged. I was like,
1: I want to work with this woman every day. First of all, thank you. And I love that you're giving me the credit for that when that was definitely the producer's. <laughs>
2: Well, whoever did that, it was awesome. Ashley, was it Ashley that did that?
1: It was one of them. I was way too focused on Chloe's like primal scream, but I'm happy to take the credit for it. Um, Another important thing that Jeremy mentioned early on in terms of stunts and all this stuff is that the fire tower where this fight happens, we built that separately. So none of that actually took place on the real fire tower. The real fire tower, we did shoot the exteriors on, but that would have been like, Impossible to actually shoot any kind of fight scene or anything in.
0: Definitely an old functional fire tower.
1: Yeah. But we had this killer art team that like built this thing and it really. So,
0: wow. Uh, what was your post production timeline? What was it like? Did you edit it, I believe, right, Jen? You and I, someone else?
1: I know I did a cut of it and then I brought on a co editor who's also our key grip. She does everything as it turns out abby and she came in and kind of killed some of my darlings and uh she like did the montages and make made some things feel like razor quick and cool and um but that whole process we wrapped in may and we had our movie uh finished in january so i had i had time i mean i was just sitting with my movie you know i was like one with my movie and really feeling it and putting it together. And it was the first feature that I ever edited. Like I had cut short stuff, but it was my first feature. It was a really transformative experience. You're sitting there with all your footage from your first feature and you're cutting your first feature. It really like, I don't know. And hey, Jaco,
0: were you involved in the, the production process and post?
1: No, not
4: at all. It was great.
0: <laughs> so you just I, um, handed handed the script and said, "Go, be have, bring me back something." <laughs>
4: yeah, as the co writer of a script, there is like not a ton to do. I I, I couldn't be very helpful. Um, I came for a few days on set. Uh, the I believe they were the first days that Jeremy was shooting, just to sort of hang out and 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 be see the production a little bit and, and sort of talk to the actors and answer any questions they had and just sort of like hang around. But at that point, by the time I got there, everyone knew what they were doing and didn't need me. So I got to just sort of hang out and watch a movie get made. It was great.
0: So in the edit, once you finished the edit, um, did you have it externally mixed and color corrected? And if so, by whom?
1: Um, we, I work with a sound designer and mixer. whose name is Sean Duffy and he's amazing. He, uh, has done the sound for a bunch of my movies, including Darling and Like Me um, and Psychopaths. Uh, and he's kind of a one-man band and he's great. So I did a temp-, I did temp sound design and then he came from LA to New York to the glass eye office and we kind of did a, a version of the mix there. And then at the end, I went to LA and we uh, finessed it. And then in terms of color, I went to Dallas uh, because our producer is tight with a colorist in Dallas and that was cool. I'd never been to Dallas and I got to work with this, uh, this color team that usually does commercials. They don't do that many features. So it was fun and special.
0: So one of the things that I think is most notable and it's definitely like, I believe your soundtrack won for like best original soundtrack at, uh, at one of the festivals I saw. So how did you work out and how did you get your soundtrack on a, on an indie budget?
1: Um, well, we have amazing producers, our producers, Heather Buckley, Andrew Vandenhouten, Ashley Sneed, and Larry Fessenden are just the best producers in the world. So Heather Buckley is super connected, first of all, to the punk scene. uh, And second of all, um, she's friends with uh, this music promoter called, uh, whose name is Mita Goodwin. And he used to be a band promoter in the 80s and was tight with all these different bands So he came on as our music supervisor, and he like asked a bunch of bands he was friends with if they wanted to be involved. Um, Then they came to me with a list, like here's all the albums you can choose from. Uh, All these bands have are excited; they want to be a part of it. And then that was like a whole. That was the most fun thing: is sitting with your movie and testing out different songs and figuring out what works best thematically and like tone wise and pacing wise and everything so that was super cool i also worked with uh wade mcneil and andrew mcpherson and uh they created our score and uh you know wade is in a bunch of different bands including alexis on fire so he they're amazing so ultimately we what what came to be our soundtrack was uh it starts off um with a punk music punk soundtrack atmosphere which then turns into a lot of wade's music uh score and then turns into when the ranger is in control and in power turns into like a country music aesthetic which uh we have the greats uh whose name is escaping me hold on wait charlie rich (laughs)
2: Charlie Rich.
0: You had a special relationship with the music, didn't you, Jeremy? In
2: 1976 or so, my mom would take me inner tubing down the South Platte River in the mountains of Colorado, and we would drive our green Ford truck to a place called Decker's where this river ran through the rapids. It was very dangerous. Lots of people died every summer, but for some reason, my mom took me there anyway. And oftentimes on the radio, on her AM radio, she would play this song, you know, hey, did you happen to see the most beautiful girl? And as I was reading the script, every time this song popped into my head. So I started listening to it while I was reading the script. And so I showed up to set and I said, hey, Jen, do you have, you know, do you have this to take? I want to. I want to throw something at you and she's game for anything. So she said, yeah, go ahead. So I, I kind of sang this song to myself as I was walking off, you know, exiting a scene. And I did it a couple different times. They didn't use all of them, but uh, then Jen can take over the story from there.
1: So Then we're cutting the movie and uh, one of the editors, Kyle, who was doing our assembly edit dropped in, the song dropped in jeremy singing it in certain points like when he's walking away after he took takes Abe's but um and a couple of other moments they he used that and then we dropped in the actual song at the end and in the beginning and we were just like oh my god this is amazing like love this and we showed the producers and the producers felt the exact same way so we all were like we need to get this song
0: And so you went out, did you, were you able to license it? I have, obviously it's in the movie.
1: Yeah. So we licensed it and we got it even on our soundtrack and stuff too, like on our vinyl and our CDs and stuff that we've released.
0: So what transmedia did you do in addition to your other distribution? You just mentioned your vinyl. I noticed there's a novelization about it. Um, so what, whatever, what are you trying to do to help motivate recoupment and profitability?
1: Yeah, well, um, So we world premiered at South by Southwest. And after that, we sold to uh, Shudder, AMC's horror streaming service. And um, then we wanted to really do this in punk rock fashion and create as much stuff around it as we could. So uh, we had the vinyl and CDs and... I don't think we ever actually did cassettes. We are talking about cassettes. I don't think we ever move forward on that.
0: So what's your distribution like? I mean, obviously you sold to Shutter. It's available on TVOD. Um, what are your plans beyond that? And ultimately kind of the overall um, question that every indie filmmaker has is, is, is it going to come full circle, do you think?
1: Oh, yes. We al- already done.
0: That's amazing. So that's amazing. That's truly like an incredible journey. Then that you've already recouped and become profitable. I mean, then you're out for how long?
1: We uh, sold the movie in the spring of twenty eighteen.
0: That's amazing! Congratulations! That's a hell of an accomplishment. That's like super. That's like the hardest thing to pull off. (laughs) Thank
1: you. Thank you very much.
0: So, what's next for you? you? What are you guys thinking, Jocko?
4: You got another script in the works? We're kicking around ideas. Yeah. Yeah, Jen and I are talking a lot. Yeah.
0: That's cool. Is that, is that what's next for what are you thinking, Jen?
1: We chat, Jocko and I chat, like, sometimes several times a week. We do these Zoom calls where we work on some new stuff, which we can't talk about yet, but they're good conversations. It's a fun um,
4: conversation, for sure.
1: Yeah. And in addition to that, I'm also working on a couple other things which I also can't talk too much about, but I'll just say that my uh, I'm trying to make my quarantine very productive.
0: Great. Great. That's very good. That's very exciting. Yes. Jeremy, what are you up to next? I mean, whenever this I'm, all ends. Uh,
2: I've got a deck to build at home. Uh, got a I'm building a uh, 20 by 12 foot deck. I build a bunch of planter boxes. I put a new set of stairs and a ramp on my studio um, I'm building a farmhouse table. I renovated my girls' bathroom. I'm doing my bathroom next. But that's not what you meant. Um, you know, actors are gonna be the last to know. and i I have a movie I'm supposed to do in Hawaii that got put on hold. Um, I have another movie that I was supposed to do in Ohio, which has moved to Canada, and we'll see about that. And you know, for me, I'm just in a wait and wait and see.
0: Well, in the meantime, Jeremy, if people want to follow you, where can they find you?
2: Uh, Jeremy S. Holm on Instagram, uh, Jeremy Holm Actor on Twitter. And uh, I live up here in Vermont, so come visit.
0: How about you, Jen?
1: Uh, I'm at Bubblegum and Blood on Instagram and J underscore Wex on Twitter.
4: And Jocko? I am at Jocko Farino. uh, That's G-I-A-C-O if you are iano um on everything
0: and yeah once again check out the film the ranger you can find it on shutter.com
3: the people you know yeah i'd say that's my my takeaway you know we we always i always tend to think there's going to be this uh, magic person who who you're going to meet that's going to help you do the next thing or gonna, who's going to help you get your movie made i'd say one of the big takeaways from that conversation is, you know, it's, it it may be the people you already know. It may be the, the person you went to school with that wrote a script back then that you need to get back in contact with and talk about that scripting and rewrite it with them. Uh, Or, you know, in Jen and Jaco's case or in Jaco and Jeremy's case, uh, their main actor, it may be someone you waited tables with years ago. And um, now he's a very successful actor um, that, had obviously really liked Jaco um, from just from waiting tables with him and was happy to read the script uh, yep. just based on that. You yeah, you can never
0: discount who you know. I know that like that idea of that magic person that exists out there that's going to come in here and be the missing piece. I don't think it it's true at all. Like it seems to be every time it is someone that just says, wakes up one morning and says, this is what I'm doing and here's the direction we're going and they hustle. And then it, that just starts a ball moving and gets people in their court and then they make it happen. I will say, I think that Jen really took a great approach with this film because she had a background of producing. They'd cut their teeth on making movies. And I think that she picked, I mean, that the, she chose the script specifically because of the type of locations, the number of cast members, something they could achieve and recoup on. That is That's a lesson right there for a first time film because making a first time film that has a following like this that recouped has merchandise has, you know, a name value and lifts you into like another. I mean, that is that is checking every box I can think of. Agreed. I mean, they obviously had a lot of things go their way, like their art, their production designer turned in from a team of two, I think, to a team of six for no extra money. But I mean. You're never going to find those deals if you don't start saying at some point, hey, we're making a movie. Do you want to be a part of it?
3: It sounded like it was definitely another case of everyone being involved, being super, super into it and and loving the team, loving everyone who's working on it and just being all about it. I'm going to guess that that set was so fun.
0: Like it just (laughs) seemed like everyone loved doing that movie.
3: Oh, I mean, Jeremy Holm, the actor, said his favorite uh, experience uh, was literally the scene where he's getting his, you know, face bashed in.
0: Yeah, I mean, you could I think I could tell, like, in that scene that he was just having a great time. <laughs> like, you just watch it. I mean, what kind of I mean, that just seems like such a fun scene to have written for you. And I think they wrote I mean, he they wrote to him because, again, they knew him. They knew he would, you know, he exactly. was their friend, that there was a possibility he could do it. Um, If he was available and boom, smart is like well executed, seemed really clean. That production I do. I just like listening to them say, even though moving quickly like that, a lot of different locations, remote locations, it seems like they really executed it well down to having a shower for Jeremy. You know what I mean? That was a detail that stuck out to me. Shower with a beer. That is how you make repeatable filmmaking business. So those little details that get you a good reputation to make sure that people have a good experience and don't burn to the ground
3: filmmaking is a collaborative experience. And so is this podcast. Follow us on Instagram at framework underscore productions for upcoming episode announcements and leave your questions in the comments for our future guests. The first 10 to comment are immediately entered to win a monthly prize. Please take a second to subscribe so you know about future episodes and leave a review. It really does help us. For more information about today's guest, visit independentfilmmakersguide.com to see visuals, diagrams, and links to the episode in video and article form. IFG is a community, and we want to help you in your filmmaking process.
1: Hi, I'm Emily Bennett, a horror filmmaker from Brooklyn, New York, and I'm reading the credits. IFG is produced by Framework Productions and directed by James Allardyce. It's produced by Matt Mundy, edited by Audrey Ray McHale, and hosted by Stephen Pierce. The music is by Glassboy. Find his music on freemusicarchive.org. Thanks for listening.
5: Hey, friends, we just wanted to take a quick moment to talk about two personal things. First, we wanted to thank you, our listening community, and our wonderful guests, learning so much together along the way and continuing to learn sharing our stories, making a lot of new friends, and collaborating, which is exactly what this is all about. Which also brings me to my second point. In great part to many of these new relationships, we wanted to let you know that we've taken a lot of this advice ourselves and made our own narrative feature film, Heard. H-E-R-D, Heard, which is premiering this October on Friday the 13th in select theaters as well as on VOD. Personally, I think it's the perfect kind of scary movie to watch during our favorite scary season. So we'd love for you to celebrate with us and watch Herd. You can pre-order it on Apple TV and of course do the communal thing, see it in theaters. Of course, for all of this, please see our show notes, but basically we're going to keep it all updated at herd.film. That's H-E-R-D dot herd.film as well thank you again. And be sure to give us a rating and a review over on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to build this community and collaborate. IFG, how movies get made.